Hello, and welcome to the 17th episode episode of Inside the Brain Of, where I'll interview a movement specialist to get inside their brain and try to understand how they incorporate neurokinetic therapy into their approach to patient or client management. My name is Eric Nelson. I'm a board-certified sports chiropractor and NKT instructor. If you're listening and you're not an NKT provider, hopefully this podcast will give you some insight as to what NKT is and how you can utilize it to help your patients or clients. Now make sure you like and share the Inside Your Brain Facebook page, and also note that these podcasts are available on iTunes, so I'll post the link on the uh, Inside Your Brain Facebook page uh, to all the podcasts that are available on iTunes. So please make sure you check that out. Now, uh, before, I always like to talk a little bit before we start with our interview, and Tonight, uh, I just wanted to talk about something. Uh, you know, on Facebook, there's uh, you can always find something inspirational, man. That's one of the things I really, I, li- I really like about it. Sometimes you're kind of bummed out or in a rut, and one of your friends is going to post something inspirational, and that's always exciting to me. Another thing that I like about it too is when I'm trying to get some uh, inspiration for my podcast for things to talk about, I know I can always. Um, look through the MKT Scholars page and find something. And sure enough, today I did find something I was very excited about. Uh, my friend, uh, physical therapist Lauren Beasley, posted a nice little post, and she basically wrote uh, uh, that it was a little reminder for herself and anyone else out there getting stuck from time to time. And she said that she just got a call from a client after a third session. The first two appointments were incredible and mind-blowing, thanks to NKT and the amazing way we discovered relationships between facilitated and inhibited muscles, but he was still having problems. Yesterday during their visit, they focused solely on posture and teaching him neutral spine with some homework to help. Today's call was to report that it was the best he felt in a long time and that he couldn't believe how important his posture was. So her advice was, when things aren't sticking, don't forget about the basics. And I couldn't agree more. It's very important. You know, we get all excited. We um, And I've been guilty myself. We, 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 we are trying to learn NKT, trying to implement it, trying to help our patients. And sometimes we run out of time or we forget about these little things. And it's very important to focus on the small things and not to forget them. So things like uh, neutral position, as Thorne mentioned, or breathing, teaching patients how to breathe, uh, properly is one of the simplest things you can do, and I think every single patient needs to learn that. So it's incredibly important. But do not forget the small things and make sure you incorporate them in there. One of the biggest things uh, that I've noticed and that I really pay attention to that I've gotten from my good friend, Dr. Kathy Dooley, and I believe she has a video out there on this, is teaching patients how to get up off the table. It's one of the things that absolutely drives you crazy when after you fix someone's transverse abdominus or help them fix their transverse abdominus, uh, and then they get up over the table by kind of throwing themselves up. And um, it's one of the things, now that I pay attention to it, it absolutely drives me crazy. So right then at that point, I usually stop the patient, I have them lay back down and teach them how to roll on their side and use their hands and legs to get up. And then I explain how they need to do this every time when they get up. Because if they're coming to you for lower back pain and their deep abdominals are not functioning properly, and they're throwing themselves up every time they get up, there's probably a good chance that that is contributing to their problem. 
And more often than none, after I teach my patient these simple little things, they come back reporting that they feel better and they couldn't believe all the times they get up incorrectly or unsafely. So again, um, take Lauren's advice. Don't forget the basic things. Don't forget the small things and incorporate this, and I think your results will even get better. So if you're listening to the podcast for the first time, uh, the reason I started this podcast was because there's so many incredible practitioners from all different professions and might I say all over the world that utilize NKT. And I was curious about how they incorporate NKT into their approach to patient management. And I figured if I was curious, there must be others who are too. And in fact, I continue to receive great feedback on each episode. And as such, I look forward to interviewing as many NKT providers as I possibly can. Now, I have a couple more lined up. Um, and, but if you have any suggestions, feel free to send me a message or, or drop me a hint um, like uh, <laughs> my buddy Joe Gonzalez did today uh, when he uh, mentioned that he thinks Dave Patain would be a great guest. And I agree wholeheartedly on that, and I will definitely have him on the show soon. Uh, but feel free to send me a message. Again, I'm trying to get through uh, every practitioner we have, and I guess that's you know over 2,000 at this point. So I'm going to have myself uh, busy here. I try to do them every other week. Uh, but, um, you know, again, just send me a message, and I will definitely consider who you have uh, in your mind. And if you're interested, feel free to drop me a line as, as well, too. Now, I'm very excited about tonight's guest. This is someone I've admired from afar. Uh, not only is he a sports chiropractor and ART practitioner like myself, this guy has an incredible resume. He's a master strong first instructor and in fact, a co-developer of their barbell certification. He's a board-certified chiropractic nutritionist. He's a certified strength and conditioning specialist. And he's a former nationally ranked powerlifter who has won a few national titles. He's also currently a semi-pro football player and a grandfather. So tonight, I'm really excited to get inside the brain of the recently engaged to be married, Dr. Michael Hartle. Hey, Michael, how's it going? And uh, congrats on your engagement. Oh, thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> well, it's an honor to have you as a guest tonight. And uh, I first became aware of kettlebells through uh, my good friend, the great Kathy Dooley. And from her post, I learned about Strong First and uh, started to become aware of some of the key players in the world in that world, and that's when I stumbled across you. Uh, I was excited to see a sports chiropractor involved with such a prestigious organization, and then when I saw you were taking NKT, I was very excited to have you as part of this wonderful community. So again, uh, welcome to my podcast, and thanks for joining me tonight. Well, thank so you for the first... I'm honored to do this, so... Oh, absolute pleasure here. So let's jump into um, your background. Um, I know that you're a chiropractor. Um, how did you get into chiropractic? How long have you been doing it? Where did you go to school? I uh, went to uh, Northwestern Health Sciences University in uh, Bloomington, Minnesota, which is just right next to Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, graduated in uh, November of 93. Uh, practiced for a couple years for some doctors over in uh, near Green Bay, Wisconsin. And... Uh, and uh, bought a practice uh, here in uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana, in uh, January of '96, and been there ever since. Oh, wow, excellent! And um, you know, 
you have a couple different uh, certifications. Uh, how did those come about? When did, when did you do that? Did you jump right into the postgraduate stuff, or was that a few years into practice? Well, actually, the uh, CCSP, I uh, got that uh, fairly soon after school. Actually, uh, while I was in school, became uh, uh, friends with uh, Dr. Bill Moreau Dr. Brian Nook. Uh, both the gentlemen were originally out of Iowa, and they were actually leading the uh, CCSP out of Northwestern, so I proctored that and was able to get that fairly soon after I got done with school. Um, the CSCS, Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist, through the NSCA, got that actually before I even graduated from school uh, as far as my doctorate. Um, and then the uh, Diplomate in Nutrition, the DACBN, uh, received that several years later and uh, went through that through the uh, ACA Council of Nutrition. Uh, I've always had a big interest in nutrition back even when I was, before I uh, graduated from school and how the body works. And then ART, Graduated in 93, started uh, taking courses with Dr. Mike Leahy in uh, 94, and that was even before he established the uh, current uh, model as far as the upper, lower, and spine, all that stuff. That was basically when he just had uh, some basic courses with it. And uh, We actually went to your neck of the woods in uh, the very first upper extremity course in 96 in Newark, New Jersey. Uh, wow. And, uh, That's that, right. That so I guess, you're, I guess you're friends with uh, Tony Crisculo then? Uh, know of him, not uh, not all the close okay. friends. Definitely know of him um, and everything else there. Actually, I just went took uh, the uh, long track nerve entrapment uh, in Cincinnati here uh, end of May. Uh, so that was the first time oh. taking that course. But uh, so yeah, so I've been very much involved with that and use ART extensively in our office. Uh, pretty much every patient that comes in is, uh, has uh, some some form of ART somewhere uh, with their body. I'm sure you're well aware of that too. Oh, yeah, excellent. Now, what type of patients do you usually work with in your office? You know, my youngest uh, uh, patient in the office was uh, two days old and uh, just actually had a new uh, patient the other day who uh, is turning 94 on Saturday, so he actually technically will be my oldest patient I've ever seen in the office, a World War II veteran, uh, so it's been quite an honor to uh, take care of him. That's exciting, definitely. Interesting. Cool, and so you've done some great um, postgraduate work. Well, how did you find out about NKT? Um, actually, uh, through the wonderful social media of Facebook, um, became friends with uh, Kathy Dooley and then uh, uh, Dr. Perry Nicholson, and just seen some things. And I think uh, uh, Perry's uh, "Stop Chasing Pain." Uh, heard some mm-hmm. things about that, and uh, I was uh, was taking engineering courses before I became uh, doctor of chiropractic. So I've always been involved with math and science, and uh, very much uh, adept at doing those. And uh, very got very interested uh, in NKT as far as an assessment. And it seemed to, from what I read, seemed like it was uh, something that went hand in hand with uh, ART and uh, even the rehab and the functional movement screen and things like that that I do and all that stuff. So um, got a hold of actually I developed a little bit of a uh, hip issue uh, last year, nothing major as far as with uh, playing football, uh, being a contact sport and everything. And actually <laughs> met Kathy Dooley. She's from Evansville, Indiana, originally, if I understand that properly. And uh, she had to actually come up to Fort Wayne and uh, did an assessment with me and uh, did some, gave me some correctives, did some NKT, some F- SFMA, and uh, with me. And and uh, so I was very impressed with all that. And so in January this year, I went ahead and uh, took an NKT uh, level one with uh, Kathy down in uh, Louisville and uh, was very impressed with how it uh, all worked and turned out and the, the method and the assessment and uh, everything else. 
Awesome. Yeah, I mean, that was one thing that drew me is how well it worked with ART. I mean, it was it was great. I mean, with ART, we learn to treat every muscle in the whole body, um, right. but we don't necessarily learn, you know, why and when to treat it. And, you know, NKT, for me at least, really gave me the answer to that to those questions and it's it's a perfect marriage in my in my mind yes i would concur with you on that one excellent awesome now in your office you do you also have physical therapists in your office uh we actually have a physical therapy assistant uh, okay he helps run with as far as my uh my section of that uh before i hired him i was doing a lot of that stuff uh myself uh with uh my patients and so uh joel came on board in january and uh and uh, we're continuing the process of educating with him and stuff like that. So he's doing a great job and uh, works, uh, you know, hand in hand with our patients. But yeah, we have our own uh, facility and, uh, near the back of my clinic, about 400 or so square feet. Uh, we also do use that room as our training room. So in uh, non-patient hours, that's where we're doing our training and, uh, as far as uh, strength training and stuff. And so yeah, we use it uh, very much with. Almost every patient uh, at some point is getting a uh, rehabilitation assessment, which in that assessment we include uh, the FMS, the functional movement screen, and then a few other uh, assessment tools that I've uh, garnered over the years through uh, Craig Levinson and uh, Stuart McGill and a few other things like that that I've kind of created my own uh, format uh, that, again, the FMS is part of that uh, to test that. And then from there, of course, you know, we... Uh, go ahead and uh, prescribe the uh, corrective exercises for that particular patient um, for you know for their issues. Awesome. Now, is that all? Uh, do you have like an insurance-based practice? Cash? I say about Nation? half our practice is insurance-based. We do about 20% uh, with uh, auto accident PIs and stuff like that. Um, of that 50%, um, and then we have a, we have a quite a large uh, cash practice as well too. So we're not exclusively cash, but uh, we do you know do insurance and. Uh, you know, most of the insurance that we use uh, do uh, cover the physical therapy and stuff like that. But we oh, also nice. um, have, make it affordable for the patients who are cash paying, who don't have insurance or whatever else, or, or huge deductibles, as you've also started seeing yeah. as well, too, um, to make it affordable to them that they can receive that. And spend a lot of time educating the patient, especially in those corrective exercises, so that they can go home and, you know, they can feel comfortable and I can feel comfortable them doing it on their own at home and getting and deriving the benefits. Exactly. Exactly. Awesome. Yeah, I just started up a physical therapist um, a couple of weeks ago, and it's it's really starting to kick in really nicely because uh, uh, you know I could spend a couple minutes with the patient there, and you know all of a sudden my time runs out, and I'd love to progress them with their exercise a little bit more, but unfortunately I just don't have the time. So having a physical therapist on staff really helps to let them take it to the next level. So I'm I'm pretty excited. It, it's a perfect marriage right there as well too. Excellent. Now, um, so tell me, because I know, and we'll talk a little bit in a little while about your powerlifting background. So I know that you're a powerlifter. When and how did you get involved with the kettlebells? It was, you know, that was interesting because I had done powerlifting for about uh, 18 years or so. Um, and then in 2005, I competed in my last uh, powerlifting meet uh, to date. So I kind of temporarily retired from that in 2006, started uh, um, playing semi-pro football. Um, but in that year of 2006, um, I decided to go to the uh, RKC, uh, which is uh, the Russian kettlebell uh, course um, held by Pavel and uh, Dragondor, and it was in St. Paul, Minnesota. And I'm originally from 
Minneapolis, so it was quite a easy thing to go up there and do that. And I met Pablo a few years before that and invited me to go to one, and I had never done it. Uh, but I heard, started hearing more about kettlebells, and I owned a couple that, you know, were gathering in uh, quite a layer of dust in the gym that had used them. And so I really wanted to, thought I'd like to check this out. And went there and uh, kind of got bitten by the bug of the kettlebell and thought something was a pretty neat, uh, neat tool implement to use because for years, I mean, I'd used a seven-foot piece of steel with a barbell with a bunch of plates on it for my training and, and always willing to open up the, or expand my toolbox, if you want to use that term. And uh, so went through that, and then the next year I was uh, uh, asked to be a team leader with them, and then a few years later uh, promoted to a senior. And then Pavel uh, went off on his own and created his own organization called Strong First. And uh, within Strong First, um, I created as far as different uh, sections or ways of training, uh, kettlebell, body weight, and barbell. Uh, we can talk about that some more later. Um, but that's how I started using kettlebells quite a bit. And one of the things I enjoyed about it is that, you know, you can do um, get a fairly strong uh, workout, both from a strength and also a cardio uh, way with using kettlebells in a short period of time. Um, so I can design a half-hour, you know, training session that would uh, get a fantastic strength, but at the same time cardio. So in a sense, more strength endurance uh, for me, uh, which plays into, you know, playing football for three hours um, versus the sport of powerlifting, you know, especially competitively. You know, you, you get on the platform, you do one attempt with the squat, you know, whether it take you 10 seconds, 12 seconds to do that. Um, you get off the platform, you sit down for 10 minutes before you do your next attempt. Um, so you don't need a lot of conditioning and, uh, as far as cardiovascular with that. Um, but when I made the decision to decide to play semi-pro football, you know, I realized that I was going to be having to, you know, expend myself more than powerlifting. So I had to change my training around instead of for absolute strength, go toward more strength endurance. And that's where the kettlebell actually helped me tremendously with that. Still mm-hmm. training with the barbell, um, but being able to, you know, because the average football plays about 10 seconds, the average rest time between plays is about 50 seconds. So you need to have that recovery ability to be able to do that. So, so that's how I got involved mm-hmm. with kettlebells and uh, and haven't looked back and enjoyed it uh, immensely. Um, Pavel's always been very uh, attention to detail and technique driven, and that's one of the things I love about Strong First is that, you know, very much about safety, very much about technique, uh, and then of course on top of that building uh, strength. Uh, and that's one of the things that I appreciate and uh, I've been drawn to myself. Awesome, yeah, that's great. And um, what I um. I found that I asked Kathy, you know, to recommend some uh, someone around in my area to go to, and she recommended um, uh, a gym near me, um, and she actually knew some of the guys there. And I went in there, and you know, they didn't know me at all, and I didn't really know anything about them. But I said, hey, you know, I'd like to take some kettlebell lessons, and um, you know, my instructor was a strong first guy, and, and the first thing he said to me, and again, he knew nothing about me and my background, is he's like, look. You know, you're not here for a workout today. You're here to learn the technique of how to use the kettlebells. And I was sold right there. Right. <laughs> that's exactly what I wanted to hear. And, and, and that's what I get out of the whole Strong First thing. It's all about form and technique. And uh, that really appeals to me a lot. Well, we had a young lady quite a few years ago who was a, um, a 19-year-old volleyball player just six months post-ACL uh, reconstruction on a non-traumatic uh, ACL tear. And... Uh, it was interesting. I was teaching her the get-up, um, and we took uh, – it was so funny. When she was doing the get-up with the kettlebell in her right hand, so uh, her left hand was the, the down hand as far as on the ground, 
she looked up at me when she did the tall sit part of the getup where you just put, you know, you're still sitting, but your elbow is straight. And she looked at me, and this is no weight. We haven't put any weight in her hand. And she goes, Dr. Mike, I can't find my shoulder. Now, she wasn't talking that she was paralyzed, but she was having, remember, she tore her right ACL and her left shoulder, so the whole diagonal pattern, that sling, was not Mm -hmm. functioning. And so I had to really teach her and give her some kinesthetic cues to get her shoulder to come back online as far as, I mean, obviously it was working, but it was it was not doing the way right. she should do. Um, and it was quite interesting to see someone who was 19 with that. Um, but, again, we sat there for a long time, really worked on that side, and it was amazing how once we got that, you know, that part of the getup uh, functioning for her, her body really started to come online as far as strength-wise. And, but we spent a lot of time with no weight, you know, um, right. as far as uh, with that. Another lady, you know, we spent probably three sessions getting her kettlebell deadlift um, down. She's an older lady. Um, she had uh, three children, C-section and stuff like that. So obviously, you can imagine her core was shot. Um, and this is this is after several progressions as far as her exercise. So we don't start didn't start her the first you know rehab session with a deadlift. We did other things to get her body online. And and uh, so I, t- I even told her I said you know every person's different. Some people get the kettlebell dope, which we use as a precursor to learning the kettlebell swing right away. And in her case, she took three sessions, uh, rehab sessions, to get that just that one exercise. Uh, to get moving until we finally were able to get moving, and we actually were able to start using some kind of some kind of weight. Before that, it was very very light and, like you said, technique driven. Excellent, yeah, that's wonderful. And, and yeah, so do you use kettlebells with every patient? How does that how does that how does that work with your patients? Not with every patient, you know. Obviously, we have uh, you know we start out, uh, and you kind of uh, commented in your earlier uh, beginning of your podcast about fundamentals, and so there's certain things that, you know, I have, uh, it's like we all do parameters or guidelines that, you know, you know we need to be able to reach this before we're going to do this. Um, but I would say a large majority of them get introduced to the kettlebells. Um, you know, uh, of course, the thing is a lot of times with patients, if uh, especially if they're doing in-house rehab with me all the time, it's not a big deal. But if they're going to be going home, uh, there's sometimes going to be a cost factor involved there too. So it just kind of depends with, with their thought process and everything else. But uh you know, we're right right across the street from a Dick Sporting Goods, so sometimes they'll go over there. I'll give them different websites, uh, whether it be uh, you know uh, Dragon Door, Perform Better, other other websites that sell kettlebells uh, to mm-hmm. get them themselves. So a lot of times it kind of depends on some of that, but yeah, for you know vast majority, they get exposed to it, and it's a neat little you know it's a tool, nice tool because it's compact. That's something they can uh, carry in their car. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of my my friends, you know, they'll go to a park, a sunny park, and do a kettlebell workout in a park someplace, um, that kind of stuff. Versus a barbell, you know, you need a you need a rack, you need a bench press, or you need a you know some place to actually lift this thing. Um, so obviously, I come from the world of barbell before I came to kettlebell, so I love the barbell and and everything else. Nothing like seeing a bar bend when you're about to lift it when it's still sitting in the rack, you know. Um, <laughs> but uh, still, a kettlebell is very nice. It's portable, uh, very easy to strap into a seat with a seatbelt and, uh, and bring it someplace. So it's nice to have it there. But, yeah, a lot of them do use it because there's a fantastic, uh, you know, rehab ability. Great Cook's gotten on board with that along with uh, uh, Brett Jones and uh, those guys mm-hmm. at uh, Functional Movement Screen with uh, using the kettlebells. And I know uh, Gray uh, loves it uh, tremendously uh, with using with his uh, clients and patients. Yeah, so tell me how do you, how, how do you use that? Like, can you give me an example of a patient that you might have used that with that approach with? Yeah, we have. Uh, like I said, we a lot of times we'll start off. Uh, one of the first things I do with the kettlebell, once we had, you know a patient has, 
you know, uh, mastered the fundamentals as far as some of the rehab stuff that I want to see first. Uh, a lot of times we'll start out with the uh, the kettlebell swing and the kettlebell get-up. Um, those two things are, are huge. And, of course, you can do get-ups with other things. You can do it with a, you know, uh, a light bag. You can do it with uh, dumbbells. But the kettlebell is really a lot easier to do with the get-up um, uh, with that. Um, that. Before we do the kettlebell swing, though, a lot of times we'll, again, have them master uh, the hip hinge ability to do that, and of course, a lot of times a kettlebell delf is the easiest way to do that. So we'll do that, and so like you know, instead of loading an ominous bar, which for some people might freak them out a little bit, uh, we use the kettlebell. It works fantastic with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we'll progress into a, a kettlebell swing, two hand swing, uh, eventually one hand swing, uh, maybe even alternating something like that to help with as far as and a one hand swing is a fantastic exercise because it helps. You know, you're having to uh, balance. Uh, you're using the bell in one hand. The other side of your body, as you know, is going to have to uh, counteract the forces involved with that, uh, which a lot of things we do in life tend to be, uh, you know, one hand or one-sided. Uh, but the get-up is also a great exercise, too. And uh, whether you're doing it with uh, no weight, uh, whether you're doing it with something that's very light, like, for example, your uh, tennis shoe or shoe on your hand, uh, trying to keep that hand, the shoe balanced on your hand so you can focus on that, and, of course, eventually with weight. Um, so those two exercises, they, or I say the delf is part of the swing, and then the get-up are some of the mainstays that we'll do. Uh, eventually, we'll work into things such as a uh, you know kettlebell press, as far as a military press, a single or double, both sides. Um, obviously, uh, we'll work into things like a goblet squat, uh, really working on hip mm-hmm. mobility um, and stuff like that. So those are things that we'll use a lot as far as from a rehab standpoint uh, with patients. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, you know, and a couple of those exercises I use on a regular basis myself, personally, because I don't really have the training to teach people, but I do a couple things. Um, I do have a kettlebell in my treatment room, and I like it there uh, for a couple reasons. And, and, and mainly people ask, you know, what the hell is that? And, you know, of course they say, is that, is that, is that a kettlebell? <laughs> That's the, that's the next thing they say, and then I correct them. No, and then I ask them, hey, can you pick that up for me? And then I watch them, you know, round their back and bend over and try to lift it with their arms. Uh, so then that opens up the conversation. That way I can teach them how to deadlift it properly, and, and, and it's awesome because then they get interested in that, and then I try to refer them out to uh, my buddy's uh, kettlebell place uh, once they're done with me. But um, another note, too, is, and you mentioned the get-up, and I and I had posted this on the um, uh, scholars page. I don't know, probably a year or so ago. Uh, I last year I I don't I remember what I was doing. Oh, I was doing something stupid, and boom, my back just totally locked up, and I was in so much pain I could not get off the floor. It was the most pain I've ever had low back. I, I never experienced anything like that. And it was I came home during lunch. I just couldn't get up. I'm looking at my wife, who is also a chiropractor, and has taken NKT, and I'm like, I can't freaking move. What am I going to do? And um, so she started assessing me, and, um, you know, I was starting to make a little progress, but then I realized I got to get up off the floor. So here I am in severe pain, and I start rolling as, like, the first part of the get-up. <laughs> so then I had my wife evaluate and realize, okay, my, my iliacus was shutting down my glute, and she worked on that. Next thing I know, I was able to get up a little bit. Needless to say, about 45 minutes later, I was able, using the whole get-up, to get up off the floor and stand upright without pain. It was pretty freaking powerful experience. There you go. That's good. Yeah, it, yeah, it, uh, really, it definitely helps a lot of people change how they move, uh, both from, like you said, the uh, 
kettlebell deadlift as far as how are they how are they lifting it you know and then also the uh the get up um you know and there's sometimes even with some of my older patients you know I'm talking even the 70s and 80s a lot of times I will actually start with teaching them the get down um mm. you know, and people say what do you mean I said well backwards. I'm not talking about some kind of uh, 70s funk music or anything <laughs> um but uh get down meaning I actually will have them start above standing straight up and because you know you've seen this with your older clients too that a lot of times mm-hmm. that uh, they're one of their worst fears is getting on the ground and not being able to get up. Um, exactly. We'll actually work the opposite and you know have them stand up and work on going down to half kneeling and then go into uh, the hinge and if they're you know strong enough we can then go into a sweep and come back up. So sometimes you know reversing the movement actually helps out. And then once they get down to the ground it's like oh and so. Because if you if you say to them sometimes some of these older patients, all right, I want you to lay horizontal, and then we're going to get up, and they look at you, and go, yeah, right, <laughs> and uh, that's not happening. So if I start standing up and reverse mm-hmm. it and get down, they're like, oh, well, I got down, so I should be able to get back up, and you know, so there's all different ways of kind of, uh, of you know, as they say, with the different uh, ways of skin a cat or whatever that uh, you mm-hmm. know, help improve that. Okay. I had one lady who was in her 80s and. We were just working the standing up down to a half kneeling, and uh, so I even had a, one of my uh, pull out a folding chair and had that to the side, and uh, she was using that as an assistant. So that's how we first started doing a mm-hmm. version of the get up or get down with her uh, to make it a little more comfortable mm-hmm. and not quite so threatening or you know uh, make her freaked out. And when she got comfortable with that, we t- pulled the chair away and she was doing it by herself. Uh, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so you're able to to help them and, and modify with uh, some of the stuff, and that's one that. The get-ups is fantastic because it's you know it's got you know seven different major parts to it and they, you know we can master each and every one of them and then put them together, take them apart, you know that kind of thing. Um, yeah, so it's, it's pretty neat. Now, have you been experimenting now? I mean, I know you've only recently. It's been a few months now. Take an NKT, but have you been experimenting like with the different parts of the get-up and, and evaluating using NKT testing? Oh yeah, yeah. It's, uh, that we've been using uh, since, like I said, since January, because a lot of things that when Kathy taught us in the uh, level one there um, really kind of uh, opened my eyes. I, mean, I, had, mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many pages of notes that I took. Uh, I felt like I was back <laughs> in school. Uh, and I was really excited about using some of that stuff. So a lot of things different that, you know, that already that I've been using for, you know, 20 plus years of my own uh, with different, you know, influences and stuff like that, and then throwing this stuff into it um, really helped out quite a bit there. And so even. Yeah, just even looking at that as far as the get-up um, and going back with some of these patients, addressing some other issues that, uh, you know, I hadn't addressed already. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, uh, I mean, I um, I, you know, I have a, uh, a good friend now that um, has a kettlebell gym, and he sent me a, a patient once, and purely just because the guy couldn't do a press uh, on one side. And it was really cool, and I, I always tell when I teach that I love the performance aspect of NKT because he's been working on his, let's say it was his right-hand press for a couple months and made no progress. Well, within like 30 seconds, I identified his lat, his like obliques weren't functioning, got them turned on, and within, like I said, within like a minute, he picked up the kettlebell and pressed it right over his head. It was it was pretty freaking crazy, actually. <laughs> yeah, those are it's one of the things that we, uh, you know, I've seen some of those things for, you know, obviously for all the years I've been practicing uh, with using ART and the correctives and stuff like that, but it was, since I've been incorporating the NKT, it seems to be happening more frequently. Um, yes. Things, obviously, you know, you want, it, you want the best for your patients, and, 
for them to get better. And so it's nice to be able to have that tool. And again, expanding the toolbox uh, that I can you know, approach patients with is uh, very important. Excellent, definitely. No, I agree 100%. And um, um, let's go back because one thing, and again, one reason I tell my patients to um, to go take kettlebell lessons from uh, a strong first instructor is because, really, because of the swing. You know, even I know we, you talked about the one hand swing, and that's awesome, but the the regular double hand swing, I mean it just seems like almost the perfect exercise to transition people to, right? I mean, it, it targets your glutes, your core, and your lats, right? I mean, can you, can you talk a little bit about uh, the swing? Yeah, I mean, the kettlebell swing is, as uh, Master SFG uh, Mark Rifkin uh, out of uh, California says, is the center of the kettlebell universe in the sense that um, because in that in that movement, obviously, like I said, a lot of times we will start with the kettlebell deadlift to get people to hip hinge, and in today's society, when it's funny, like if you were to, like you said, you have you ask people to, uh, you know, pick it up off the floor and see how they do it. And a lot of times, when you ask someone, for example, even just do a squat, you know, they've forgotten how to use their hips, um, and they actually they bend down, you know, they bend with their knees, uh, their heels come off the ground, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so by doing, you know, teaching the hip hinge, you start to bring in back, you know, <clears throat> you've seen this many times too, is that their glutes come offline. And they forget how to use their glutes. You know, we call it, I like to use the term gluteal amnesia. I can't remember who mm-hmm. coined that term, but a lot of patients tend to laugh at that, knowing what amnesia is, mm-hmm. that you know, they forget their butt doesn't work anymore. Yet they use it, they think they use it every day. So the kettlebell delft, you know, brings that posterior chain back on line, gets the hamstrings, of course, obviously, you know, the calf and all that stuff as well, too, and then the glutes if you're doing it properly. And that's where, you know, I think Strong First has, the, has definitely uh, cornered that market as far as the technique driven is that making sure all that works first before you actually do a swing. And when you do the swing, mm-hmm. now you're taking a grind exercise like a deadlift, which, you know, is, is not necessarily has, has to be slow, but it's generally a slower lift to a ballistic with a swing. And now, like you said, you're bringing your lats involved. Um, you're bringing as far as your, your core, um, your glutes, everything involved to be able to do a swing. And like I always say, at the top of a, um, at the top of a swing, that is like a vertical plank uh, with a bell in front of you. And, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> as Pavel likes to say, the uh, chairman of Strong First, you know, uh, when someone's doing, say, a set of 10 reps of the swing, and since you've been swinging already with the bell, you kind of will appreciate this that your rest time during that set is when the bell is floating momentarily in front of you. Um, so if you can, uh, you know, do it faster uh, as you are standing up at vertical plank, so your, you know, your, your uh, feet are rooted, your kneecaps are pulled up, your quads are tight, your glutes are tight, your core is tight and everything else, that bell sitting in front of you floating for that half a nanosecond, that's your rest time. Um, yeah. Start the next one. Um, but, yeah, and it's funny because a lot of people will say, well, I heard that kettlebell swings can hurt your back. Yeah, well, anything can hurt your back if you do it improperly, uh, whether that be gardening outside, picking up your grandchild, or simply lifting a barbell, kettlebell, even, heck, even doing push-ups can hurt your back if you do it improperly. Um, but if you do it properly, there's a huge benefit uh, from doing the kettlebell swing. So it's definitely a very strong exercise for uh, everyone to do, no matter what your age. Excellent. Yeah, I, I, I agree that it, it it's changed my life as far as looking at uh, working out and stuff. And like I said, when I hurt my back, it, that was one of the exercises I used to, to come back, and it really helped me tremendously. So, um, again, can you um, recap? I know you mentioned a couple of different exercises. So when someone, you know, is done with their rehab, what are some of the key exercises that um, you'd like to see them 
you know, utilize, you know, whether they're an athlete or, you know, just a regular person? Well, I definitely, um, the get-up is one. Um, I would say the uh, the squat, whether it be, um, and again, having patients, not everyone has access to a gym or wants to do that, so I'll, I'll refer to kettlebells here, but whether you're doing a goblet squat with the kettlebell uh, or a, you know, a double kettlebell squat, something like that, uh, then a kettlebell swing, and I'll still have patients do the kettlebell deadlift just to kind of reinforce that uh, mm-hmm. that hip hinge um, and everything else. And again, a lot of people have forgotten how to use that. And uh, I had a lady the other day who's in her just late 50s, and uh, she said it's so funny. She was on vacation, and they were staying at a, a time their timeshare, and she was taking dishes out of her dishwasher, and she was dealing with some back issues, and all of a sudden she remembered the hip hinge. So she got kind of into that position while she was emptying her dishwasher. She goes, it was amazing. For years, her back used to hurt emptying a dishwasher. And now, mm-hmm. you know, practice with the deadlift and everything else she's been doing, and then that movement that she's now, even without weight, uh, she remembered to use her hips to empty the dishwasher instead of, you know, bending over at the waist with her knees locked. And uh, which, you know, obviously was the reason why she came in in the first place. So those are some basic things that I would see people in a post-rehab world do to help keep their bodies healthy and strong. So, Excellent. Now, you mentioned the goblet squat. Can you just des- describe that for those people that aren't aware what that is? Well, that's using the – you can use, you know, obviously a, a dumbbell or other things, but the best way to use it is with a kettlebell. And basically it's like if you were to uh, – a kettlebell being a uh, – for the people who don't know what they are, uh, is like a cannonball with a handle on, mm-hmm. on top of it. <laughs> Basically, you're kind of grabbing the, the uh, kettlebell by its horns, so the body of the bell is below the hands. And basically, what a, a goblet squat is is dropping down into a squat uh, with the bell in front of you. So you're at your your elbows are flexed, uh, the, your two hands are around the horn, um, and it's you know not touching your your chest or anything else, but it's out in front just a little bit. And by making sure with you know good thoracic mobility and everything else, you're dropping down into the squat with the hips and knees are generally flexing about the same amount. We'll go below parallel and come back up. Um, there's obviously more details with that, but that's kind of a basic uh, goblet squat. So you're holding, you know, one bell. We want to get your hand on either side of the horn there and do that. It's a lot of times how we start grooving the uh, squat pattern uh, within Strong First and, mm-hmm. uh, and everything else there. So very, very, uh, like I said, uh, a little threatening, not very ominous as far as people learning how to squat again properly. And then uh, later on down the road we can go into – single kettlebell, double kettlebells, where you have two mm-hmm. bells that you're using, and then eventually someone, you know, if they w- wish to work into more of a barbell uh, squat, whether it be front squat or back squat. Hmm. Excellent. And um, how about uh, farmer carries? Do you use them a lot with the kettlebells? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we do farmer's carries. Um, because my, my uh, rehab facility part of the, my clinic is only about 400 square feet, doesn't leave a lot of room for that. But I'll have patients that will, you know, will sometimes go outside because I have a big yard behind my clinic that will go outside mm-hmm. to do that. Uh, whether farmers carries uh, one bell in each hand, whether it be, uh, you know, single hand, uh, that's always interesting for people to do as well too. Um, and uh, sometimes we'll even do um, uh, waiters carries uh, where the bell is basically oh, yeah. uh, upside down. They're walking around uh, mm-hmm. bell uh, in a position we call it the clean position where your elbow's bent. Um, so different things like that. But, yeah, we'll use farmer's carries quite a bit. I've, I've used uh, um, things like that uh, in my facility for myself, and also a lot of times I'll even uh, I have a wheelbarrow out behind my clinic that I will load with weights and uh, walk around with that as well too. And so <laughs> I'll do that after it's done with a, like a heavy squat or deadlift workout, and it works real well as far as not only 
um, kind of as, as, as a, not a cool down, but it helps as far as uh, kind of re-get the body back online. Man, it's a great uh, core exercise. Nice. Now, um, you know, just as we're talking about here, I was just thinking, you know, you're a pretty strong, big dude. Uh, how heavy uh, kettlebell do you use? <laughs> well, the biggest one that I have in my clinic is the, uh, they call it the Beast. Uh, it's a 48-kilo, 106-pound kettlebell. Um, so I have several of those that I use um, and everything else. And that's one of the reasons why I still use the barbell quite a bit because in, in my current sport of uh, semi-pro football, I play defensive tackle and nose tackle. So I'm, you know, about 6'1", 280 pounds. And, you know, the guys that I go against are, you know, same similar weight on the offensive line. So sometimes I'll get double teams. So I'll use the barbell to also do it because, you know, if you use, uh, for example, if I wanted to do a double kettlebell squat with the beast, you know that's uh, 212 pounds, and I need to, you know, I need to have my strength higher than that. So I'll use the barbell right. to assist with that. So I can obviously, you can load not infinite, but you obviously a lot more weight on a barbell than uh, what you can with a kettlebell uh, and everything else. So I'll, I'll, you know, I'll use those bells. Um, but a lot of times I'll stay, you know, definitely uh, lighter. Um, you know, 32 kilo, which is about uh, 70 pounds or so. Um, this is like a 40 kilo, which is 88 pounds. You know, sometimes you use two of those at the same time to help with more, again, the strength endurance part of uh, football. And then when I'm going for higher strength uh, training or whatever else, I'll use the barbell and throw that in. And sometimes I'll mix the both of two of them together. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Makes sense. Definitely makes sense. Yeah. I would imagine uh, playing football, you need to um, to definitely be strong, for that, especially for that position. Uh, now, earlier uh, in my intro, I talked a little about, like we said, talking about the fundamentals, keeping it simple, and I talked a little bit about, you know, uh, teaching patients breathing. Uh, is there a, uh, my friend, uh, and I mentioned him before, and kettlebell instructor Christian Lee, um, he's actually hosting my level two class in a few weeks, um, he a- asked me to ask you about power breathing. I'm not too familiar with that. Can Can you tell us about that and how you use that? Well, that's a term that uh, I was introduced to through uh, Pavel uh, and everything else. And power breathing is, think of, in a nutshell, think of uh, abdominal bracing, okay? And, you know, for example, I, you probably use, like, a, a dead bug exercise in, for your patients. Um, or some people, mm-hmm. like Kathy Tooley calls it dying bug. Uh, so whether they're, you know, half comatose or to- fully dead bug, either way. Um, <laughs> but a lot of times that kind of reduces people to understand the idea of, of doing some type of abdominal bracing uh, with that, um, so that's kind of what that is. But by being able, to, let's say someone's going to drop into a uh, a proper, and I emphasize that proper plank exercise, and they're going to do it for 30 seconds. Well, I don't want someone to hold their breath for 30 seconds, so mm-hmm. I want them to be able to breathe. But you don't want to lose this proper stabilization. So what they will do is basically through abdominal bracing, they'll do very um, short breathing. So think of uh, the way Pavel likes to show it sometimes is. Uh, uh, using a, a couple, I think you have a couple straws that you're in your mouth, and you're breathing through that. So it's a very uh, short breath in and out, um, and I'll make that noise here. It's kind of a almost sounds like a hissing sound. Um, and the louder and harder you do that, if you person were to do abdominal bracing, put their hands on their abs, and actually do that type of breathing, they'll see that you're breathing. They say, "Well, where am I breathing in?" Well, as you're breathing out you're going to have some air go in as well, too. Obviously, it's not going to be full breaths or even, you know, even a half breath, um, but it's enough to sustain and keep down the overall, uh, you know, total pressurization inside the body. Um, you know, I'll give an example. When I'm doing a uh, – when I'm, when I'm in the 
powerlifting platform competing and I'm doing my one rep, you know, I'm not breathing. I take my breath in, I, you know, hold it, brace, do my squat, come back up, and then I breathe. So you're talking maybe, you know, again, five seconds to ten seconds that you're not actually, you know, having breath go in and out. Um, and they've done, I think, studies as far as uh, some of the strength studies that, uh, you know, your systolic blood pressure will go up as high as 400 millimeters of mercury. And people go, holy crap, you know, that's, that's quite high. Mm-hmm. But it's also only for a few seconds. Um, mm-hmm. And that obviously helps as far as with the perfusion of blood and all that stuff through the rest of the body. Because we do that, you know, our blood pressure will go up at any time. I mean, just like you and I, we take our blood pressure of patients in our office. We're not asking them to do, <laughs> to flip car mm-hmm. tires and take their blood pressure at that moment. We do it with them in a resting state. Um, and by doing the power of breathing, you're able to have teach them tightness. Uh, you'll be able to teach them uh, high tension, uh, which they need for different things in their life, but at the same time, too, uh, not compromising cardiovascular aspects, too. Obviously, I always tell patients, too, if they need to, you know, get assessed properly either by their uh, physician, cardiologist, you know, whatever else, uh, that kind of thing, um, before they, you know, go forth with that. But still, once that's taken care of, teaching them that power of breathing you know, is, is proper to help get them to do high tension, teach them tightness at the same time in a safe manner. Hmm. Makes sense. Definitely makes sense. Cool. All right. Well, let's uh, switch it up a little bit. You're also board certified um, in nutrition. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about that and how you implement that with your patients? Um, a lot of, uh, you know, when a patient, new patient comes in my office, uh, obviously we do, we do a full history. I mean, I spent a lot of time doing a history because, you know, I was always taught that, you know, 90% of what you're going to learn from a new patient uh, is through the history, talking, listening to them. Uh, and a lot of times you'll hear, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Kathy Dooley, uh, uh, Dr. Weinstock, uh, Perry will mention too, and from the NKT aspect, listen to your patient. They'll tell you a lot of times where you've also mentioned it too. Uh, where their problem is. So we spend a lot of time with that. But also I ask a lot of nutritional questions. How much water do you drink? How much pop? You know, coffee? Uh, do you take any supplements or vitamins? Uh, that kind of thing. Um, and, I, you know, it's amazing how many people will say, yeah, I drink six cans of pop a day. Whew, there's a big mm-hmm. flag right there going up um, that we need to address. Um, so there are some basic things that I will recommend for most patients uh, just based on hearing what they say and stuff like that. You know, uh, a good uh, good multivitamin, uh, potentially some uh, good uh, EPA, DHA, essential fatty acids, fish oils, things like that, based on what I see and on, even on the x-rays that we take, if we uh, take any, and that kind of stuff. But there are some patients that I will also recommend that we do a nutritional consult. And we'll go everything from um, just filling out some uh, questionnaire paperwork stuff to even using uh, blood, urine, stool, uh, even mm. hair analysis and stuff like that. Just So it kind of depends on how how deep the patient wants to go. So I give them several options uh, to do that with. And uh, so we incorporate that. And I always look at my patients uh, and our, my approach with them, kind of like a, uh, um, you know equilateral triangle that, you know, at one point we have the chiropractic aspect, another point we have nutrition, another point we have the exercise rehab stuff. And if we keep an equal balance with all of them, the patient will be in the center, you know, having, uh, enjoying optimal health and function. Um, and so I do, do talk about that. But, to me, it makes no sense to, if a patient is saying they're drinking a six-pack of Diet Mountain Dew every day, um, you're sitting here going through, you know, uh, tons of corrective exercises and even treatment or whatever else, and at the same time, too, they're putting poison in their body every day. Um, so for me, I'm very strong as far as addressing that with people um, because it's, otherwise it's going to hurt their uh, treatment plan. It's going to hurt their, their benefits and stuff like that for them. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, no, I um, 
I have a actually have an undergraduate degree in nutrition, and uh, I was looking forward to uh, applying that uh, or having a huge part of my practice when we first opened uh, 17 years ago. But when I met my wife and moved to New Jersey, I found out at that time it's since been changed that chiropractors were not allowed to give nutritional advice to our patients. Oh, it was yeah, because everything has a different uh, scope of practice and licensing with that. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, I had no idea. I mean, that I couldn't tell my patients to take vitamin C, yet you can go in GNC. And, you know, a <laughs> 16-year-old kid behind the counter could tell them to do whatever they want, and that was kind of crazy. Yeah, like I said, that's been, right. that's been changed, thank God. But, um, yeah, that's awesome. Cool. Um, great. And um, so... You know, we've talked a little bit about your your training background and how you used to be a powerlifter. Why don't you, um, you know, fill us in with some details? How how did you get involved with uh, powerlifting? Well, I went to a, uh, a Catholic high school in Minneapolis, and our weight room was the size of you know, probably a small bedroom at your house. Um, so we had a bench press and a universal machine. Some people who are younger may not even know what a universal machine is, but it was one of those machines that had like four or five stations on it, you know, with uh, weight stacks. And uh, so we had had a uh, gentleman come in and give a little strength uh, seminar there. So I got kind of bitten by that and started lifting weights. And, and I didn't really start until I got out of high school and joined up with a gym, in, uh, the old elite gym in Bloomington, Minnesota. And they had a bunch of powerlifters there. And so some friends of mine who got me to join there went away to college, and I continued with them. And instead of just doing the old beach workout, you know, the bench and bicep workout, uh, which way is the beach kind of thing, um, decided to get involved and actually start doing squats and deadlifts. And so I uh, did my first powerlifting competition in 1987 and uh, kind of got bitten from there. So I did that for mm-hmm. for a number of years and uh, worked my way up the uh, chain as far as uh, rankings and lifting and all that stuff. And then uh, 2005 did my last uh, powerlifting meet at, that, at this point in my life and decided in, in 2006 to I've always done competitive something. I uh, used to race like 10 speeds back when I was in high school, back in my skinny days, uh, before I got to the car. So I've always done something competitive. And uh, so I uh, decided to try my hand at semi-pro football. One of my patients was a semi-pro football player that I was treating for some injuries and stuff, and I looked into it. So that's how I did that. But, uh, yes, I enjoyed uh, still do the training and all that stuff. Obviously not training right now for absolute strength because I need more strength endurance uh, for a game, um, especially when right. In season right now and, and stuff like that, but in the off season, um, you know, I'm looking forward. Actually, this next year, I'm thinking about getting back into doing some uh, uh, some raw powerlifting meets and stuff like that. So it'll be uh, certainly interesting with uh, training and time if I can uh, fit that into my schedule and get that going. Yeah, I mean, your schedule sounds crazy. Um, <laughs> I, I loved how you retired from powerlifting to go play semi-pro football. <laughs> Well, people ask, you know, and I say, what's the best word to use? And so I said, I always say I temporarily retired. Uh, I will be coming back at some point. So That's great. And um, awesome. Now, um, let's see here. Yeah, so you you teach for Strong First. Um, What exactly does that entail? I mean, how often do you travel? Where do you travel? I mean, I've seen some pictures of you all over the place. Yeah. Well, this year has been kind of a a crazy travel schedule. I think um, there's eight or nine different certs, uh, certifications I would be teaching at. Um, and I teach uh, this year, I think it's, yeah, I think it's seven barbell certifications and there's two uh, kettlebell certifications that I'm teaching at. Um, uh, we created, uh, with Pavel, when he created Strong First, one of the things he did was, like I said, he 
wanted to bring in a uh, more distinct barbell uh, type training as far mm-hmm. as certification because there uh, really was no one out there doing that as far as uh, from that. I mean, Olympic weightlifting has their courses that they use uh, for teaching that, but as far as from a powerlifting lifts and or mm-hmm. other lifts, there really is nothing out there. Um, mm-hmm. So in 2012, the end of that, he contacted me, and we created this uh, for about six months writing the manual and the course and everything else, and then debuted in Italy uh, in June of 2013. Um, had several last year, and then this year has been crazy as far as uh, crazy good uh, doing that. So mm. so far this year, I've been in uh, in Sweden and Salt Lake City, heading to Boston next weekend. Um, right. uh, Going to be in uh, London. Uh, we were in Italy back in uh, March. Nice. Stuff like that. We've been was in Chicago the end of April for a kettlebell course with uh, Master John Ingham, uh, instructor with him. Uh, did a fantastic job there. Um, Going to be in uh, Hungary later this year, um, Tucson, and then I'm back in Vancouver uh, for a kettlebell course end of uh, in the middle of November there. So definitely do lots of traveling with that. Um, but the barbell certification just kind of got born of the things that basically merged. My brain with Pavel's brain put together this thing, uh, and we spent three days going over uh, seven different uh, lifts, um, teaching everyone uh, the uh, intricacies of it. Um, uh, people have been nicknaming me Dr. Setup because we spent a lot of time at these certs having the proper setup um, as far as mm-hmm. lifts. And even with the kettlebell deadlift, just go back to that very basic move, you know, we spent a lot of time getting the proper setup because obviously, just like anything else, if you do the proper setup, then the uh, lift itself will go uh, be healthier and safer for the person, and they'll get to derive a better benefit from it. So we spent a lot of time working on the setup of the different lifts and then starting to put some weight on there. And, then of course, they need to go back to their gyms and keep practicing this stuff and, and everything mm-hmm. else there. Um, but it's uh, quite, a, quite a fun thing for me to do. It's a, it's a love uh, that I obviously have from all the years of my own lifting and uh, being able to teach people this stuff. And... And then to hear the responses later, you know, we just uh, we had a number of them um, that had co- gone to the the uh, acronym as SFL Strong First Lifter, as far as that the mm-hmm. certification that just competed in a meet down in Tucson uh, with Danny Suez uh, Jim, and a number of the uh, people who came into came to the course or the certification last year competed in that. So it was nice to hear some of the mm-hmm. nice positive reviews that wow, you know, I can't believe the kind of weight I'm lifting and you know what I learned here and all that kind of stuff. So. You know, you're hearing the positive things from a lot of people um, about the uh, training and what we're teaching with the, with that. And of course, it goes a lot of to back to the the kettlebell too, because we built the barbell course, uh, the certification, mm-hmm. and the course itself on top of uh, the kettlebell. Um, so we use a lot of the principles in there, in addition to other things uh, with the barbell. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So what you know, if is there? Because I know it's like the kettlebell. I mean, I don't know that much about it, but. You know, there's definitely requirements you need before you should even consider taking, you know, the certification course. Is that similar to the barbell? Do you have that in place as well, too? As far as prerequisites, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, the barbell certification, the three-day uh, certification, um, you have to to come to ours. Um, you have to either take a uh, – either be – Kettlebell certified, which means that goes through the three-day uh, certification for the Strong First uh, Gear or Kettlebell, SFG, um, or you go through a one-day uh, Strong First Kettlebell user course. Um, mm. So you either go through a one-day user course or through a three-day certification. Either one applies to it. And then once you go through either one of those, then you can come to the barbell certification. And the main reason we do that is because if – 
Pavel and I, you know, didn't we eliminated something when, when trying to put those three days certain squeeze it into three days? And I'm sure you know David's done that with the NKT. Well, how much are you going to? You know, that's why he has level one, two, and three. You can't teach all of all three levels in you know, one shot. Um, that if we didn't, we'd probably have a, a four or five days here because you'd have to teach the principles of some of the things we teach right. in the kettlebell. So we tell people, all right. You know, this is a little bit more advanced. You're gonna you need to learn this stuff first, because then when you come to this, you'll get more out of it, um, and, and be able to practice with that. You know, we don't go over uh, a lot of the things that we teach in the kettlebell user course or the search. Uh, we have referenced them, and we're you know right. you should know these things before you come. So, spend some time. And, and Pavel and I agree with him. You know, likes to say that the, the kettlebell is the uh, entry to to strength. And I like using that because obviously my came from a barbell uh, point of view before I got into kettlebell, so I did not have that. But I can tell you when I go back into uh, competing in powerlifting, that having what I've learned in the kettlebell world and stuff like that will, you know, pay off huge as far as for my own, you know, competitiveness in powerlifting. So using the kettlebell, plus again, you know, like I said, it's it's a very um, not as threatening, it's uh, less ominous uh, learning, you know, with a cannonball to handle. Uh, versus going to a gym and see a bunch of big guys snorting and and uh, yelling and playing loud music and chalk is flying all through the air and like man I don't want to do that whereas a kettlebell is you know a lot easier to use so definitely now I see I mean again I'm definitely a way on a way outsider on this topic but it seems like with kettlebells you definitely develop more mobility and more stability as well as strength I mean is that, that is that a fair assessment Oh yeah yeah. And, you know, with the kettlebell, because a lot of things that we do, uh, we teach mobility and strength. So you are, just even if you go into the uh, level one certification of uh, Strong First for kettlebell, you know, we teach six moves with that. And uh, with those six moves, you're going to develop mobility and stability and strength and, you know, endurance and all that kind of stuff, all just learning those six ones. So, again, it's like even with patients going back to rehab in my office, you know, and you know this too, that, you can probably you could probably stand to give someone ten to fifteen corrective exercises for their right. issue, um, but like I tell my patients, I'm not, I'm going to keep it simple, and I'm going to give you three, maybe four max, but usually three very simple exercises. But you need to, and I tell the patient, you need to master these fundamentals because once you master mm-hmm. these fundamentals, one you'll start to see changes in your body. But then we're going to advance you on this. But you have to, you know, like breathing, for example, we've got to get there you know, they're breathing proper before we can move you into other exercises that are going to build on the fact that you can breathe properly. But I have no business giving you those exercises until you can master that. So same thing here, too, as a kettlebell. You know, we have six exercises that you master, and, you you know, a person could basically they could go to that course and never go to another one the rest of their life and have get fantastic health benefits from just those six movements. Um, and like you said, the mobility and stability, you'll j- derive both uh, from just those mm-hmm. six moves. Excellent, excellent. And um, do I mean do most people that take the strong perks are they kettlebell instructors, or do a lot of people do it for personal reasons? You know, for you know, we reasons? have all across the board. We have people who are uh, like you and I, doctors of chiropractic. We've had medical doctors. We've had uh, personal trainers who want to enhance their their certification or you know licensing or whatever else. Um, you know, all across the board. We had a guy and. Uh, Jim Hatcher was in Chicago here back end of April. I think he's the uh, the oldest uh, person to go through. Is he 72 or 74? <laughs> uh, awesome. So yeah, so and he and he actually told me he says I have no interest in training people. I just I wanted to do this for mm-hmm. myself, and I've already realized uh, some of the health benefits 
uh, for having you know trained for this. And so he's going to continue. He's a retired teacher and administrator. So uh, for him, he's going to you know, derive some of those health benefits from that. So all across the board. Uh, but I would say in a large part, you're going to see uh, people who are either wanting to get into personal training or already have a personal training business and yet want to learn to do things proper, not just uh, you know not just uh, pay a fee and take a written test and send it in. You know that kind of right. thing. Want to get something that's uh, very hands-on and. And uh, I can def- definitely tell you when you leave uh, that that certification that you will definitely realize you had hands-on work and and but at the same time too you you know you get a manual which is also very uh, academic as well too. So hmm. excellent. Well, it's definitely on my list of things to do in my lifetime. <laughs> there you go. We're good. <laughs> Love to have you at one that I'm teaching. So yeah well believe me i will definitely seek that out once i um get some time in my life you know you know the drill i mean you're busy as hell uh i got three kids and my businesses and teaching uh it's hard to get any time just to, to work out anymore but um definitely it's on my radar something that i'm very interested in so i will definitely seek you out when i'm ready that's for sure now well let's uh wrap up here but you know obviously um you know, if you can just tell us the SFG strong first, um, you know, why is strength so important for all ages? Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, could you say that again, Eric? Yeah, why is, you know, your the company's name is Strong First, right. you know, and, and obviously strength is important. You know, why, you know, what do you tell your patients? You know, where does strength come into factor? Why is it so important? Well, strength is important because it, you know, it improves your quality of life uh, and being able to accomplish the uh, activities of daily life. You know, and it goes all the way up to, you know, that gentleman who uh, was my new patient this week, uh, 93 years old, and his goal is to. He's using a walker right now. He can, he can move fairly good, but he wants to get off of that and get to a cane. And so he already wants to improve his life. Uh, and so he needs. To, but part of that is obviously he's got some. You know dysfunction inside his body that's not allowing him to do that, and but he's also not only that going to have to also increase his uh, strength, and of course when I say increase his strength, I'm talking differently than say my strength or your strength, um, mm-hmm. but he needs to have that ability. You know, and one of the main reasons that I've seen that people go into nursing homes uh, or assisted living is that they no longer can do the activities of daily life because they somehow had lost the strength, whether it be picking up groceries, you know, carrying a laundry basket. Um, you know, raking leaves or mowing the grass or whatever, at some point they lost that ability. Uh, and it's usually due to strength. Uh, when a person has strength, a lot of things come on top of that. But you can have all the cardio conditioning you have, but if you're weak, you know, there's a lot of things in life that needs that strength, whether you're picking up the bag of mulch at Lowe's or, you know, uh, picking up uh, your grandbaby or a child or whatever else. Uh, we had a lady who. Uh, 41 years old, had four children, all four were C-section, and she came in, and one of the things that noticed right away with her when we did her assessment was um, her breathing was opposite what it should be. So when she breathed in, her belly went in. <laughs> and I'm telling you that, you probably, you know, you can understand what I would look at that. Mm-hmm. So we had to change that, but she had lived, her brother, her younger brother was a patient of mine, and he says, for as long as I've known her, she can't do anything with her back. She can't even lift mm-hmm. anything. And about two months after working with her and stuff like that, he was telling me how she had put on a garage sale at her house every year. He said it was the first time he can remember in eons that uh, he didn't have to help her set up a folding table. She did it all by herself. You know, and simple things that you and I may take for granted, but for her at age 40, after four C-sections, 
that she had lost a tremendous amount of uh, you know strength in her body, and now she she's probably four or five um, uh, rehab assessments down the road, which means she's very advanced as far as a lot of her training now. Mm. And she doesn't uh, have any back pain anymore. And she's doing things that she couldn't do in her in her 30s, and she's in her 40s now. So having that strength is very important, and that's one of the reasons I love that name, Strong First, because it says you need to have strength first before you can do anything else. I mean, obviously, as a, as a marathon runner, you know, uh, if they don't have strength in their body, they have no business out there running uh, because they're not going to be able to handle the, the G-forces of the impact of uh, hitting the ground and everything else. So it, that's to me, that's where strength comes in. And again, it, sometimes it's hard for me to explain that to patients because they look at me being six foot one, two hundred eighty pounds, <laughs> doing the sports that I do, and I talk about strength. And they're like, uh, Doc, I don't want to look like you. <laughs> I don't want to have to pay for the food to eat, look like you. And I, and I always tell them, I'm not saying you should be like me, um, but I want you to have the strength so you can do your, you know daily activities, the things you want to enjoy. And it's funny how in my assessment, my intake form, I always say, you know, what things have you, what things do you plan on doing with your improved health? And I can't believe how many times you hear pick up a grandchild, uh, yard work, uh, gardening, you know, just think, simple things that don't require a tremendous level of strength, but do require some strength to be able to uh, keep the body mobile and stable at the same time. Excellent. Awesome. That was beautiful. And I agree 100%. Wonderful. Well, do you have any um, final words you'd like to share with our uh, our listeners here? Uh, just you know, again, um, you know, I'm glad uh, NKT is in the uh, found uh, in my life, and uh, I thank uh, Dr. Kathy Dooley for doing a great job teaching at level one, and I enjoy reading David and Perry's and yours got yours and hers uh, posts all the time, so I appreciate that. So, um, but I would just say again, um, be strong. Um, you know, people will sometimes say, well, I'm too old to do this or, you know, uh, this is because of that. No, no one's ever too old to, uh, uh, to become strong again. And uh, I don't care, you know, about necessarily so the hormones or whatever else. There's always ways to become strong, uh, different ways to do it, and uh, never forget that. And that's where as, as, as humans through the years and, you know, thousands of years that uh, strength has played a big factor as far as our health, and we need to bring that back. And you know, uh, we can certainly help do that. You can help do that in your in your office as well too. And people need to think about that uh, and uh, don't forget that. Excellent. So, where can um, people find you and connect online? You have any uh, email address or Facebook? What, what's the best way? To get um, to yeah, you? email is uh, Dr. Michael, all one word, at uh, Cairo Power C H I R O P O W E R dot com. That's the best email to get me. Uh, my website is chiropower dot com. Dot com, sorry, uh, under construction, and I'll change some things about it. Um, you can also uh, look me up through as far as uh, Strong First, Facebook. I'm on Facebook, Michael Hartle, uh, everything else with that. So uh, they can certainly go all, all those different directions to uh, look me up. Awesome. Well, excellent. Well, uh, again, it was an honor and a pleasure uh, speaking, to you, speaking with you tonight. So thank you uh, for joining me here on Episode 17. And, Hopefully I'll have the chance to to learn from you one day. I definitely look forward to that. So, again, thank you for that. Uh, just a couple quick announcements as we end up here. Again, I will be teaching a Level 2 class in New Jersey in August at my good buddy Christian Lee's Kettlebell Gym Escape Fitness in Medford. I'll be teaching a Level 1 in September in Detroit. Uh, in October, I'll be teaching in Arizona and Atlanta. 
Uh, in November, I'll be teaching uh, up at Seneca Falls, uh, up where New York Chiropractic College is. And in December, I'll be teaching in New Jersey once again uh, at the same place we did Parabolic, uh, owned by uh, a physical therapist, Matt Cefeli. Uh As always, your feedback is appreciated, so send me messages on Facebook or my email address at chirorehab at hotmail.com. Again, be sure to like the Inside the Brain Facebook page, and thanks for joining us, and I will speak to you soon.